0: At this really interesting time right now, where we have to stop looking at nonprofit and for profit separately. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You
1: just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, who is a friend of mine and fellow founder and CEO of uh, an incredible few companies. This is Lily Cantor. Uh, Welcome, Lily. So excited to have you here. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you, but uh, Lily is the current Founder and CEO of an incredible company that she's going to talk to us about called Boon Supply. But prior to that, she was the co founder of a company that I think you all have uh, slept in, in these sheets and, and seen so many of the other products that they have called Serena and Lily. And uh, so cool that her name is, is on this company. Incredible, incredible uh, brand and, and company that she built for sure. And I'm so excited just to have everybody listen to her journey and how she helped build uh, both of these companies, how she came from different industries uh, to really shed light on on what was needed in these uh in these other industries and categories. And she spent 17 years in different industries in technology and accounting and had worked for huge brands, including Deloitte and Microsoft and IBM. I mean, amazing experience before she decided to actually hang a shingle and become an entrepreneur. And I'm so, so excited to have you here, Lily. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let me start with uh, the question that I I I love asking people: Where did it all begin for Lily? Who was Lily? Little Lily? Like, who was she? Was she a uh, Was she a risk taker? Was she all the things that everybody thinks of in, in an entrepreneur? I, I definitely have been an entrepreneur
0: since I was probably about first or second grade. I. I actually had a roller rink in my basement. I, you know, I, yeah, I did. And I charged the neighborhood kids to attend. And then I had a snack bar and then I even charged them for the snacks. And so this entrepreneurship journey absolutely started in first or second grade. How did you have a roller rink in your basement? You know, listen, I grew up in Kansas City. We had these (laughs) large basements. They were concrete floors. I mean, what else are you doing down there? And, you know, it's like,
1: (laughs) that is so funny. And how many kids would like come over and roller skate? This is hysterical. Oh gosh,
0: at least, you know, four to six, you know, the neighborhood kids. And, um, I absolutely was trying to monetize from the the time I was pretty young. So Hence,
1: hence you getting into the finance (laughs) world. So you knew knew about making money and how to monetize it. And did you have music and everything? Oh, absolutely.
0: We had, you know, back in the day, a a nice record player. And, you know, it was Saturday Night Fever times. So I am aging myself. But yeah, I I definitely went into accounting because I love accounting. It's just so logical. It's hysterical.
1: (laughs) <laughs> that is so funny. So you graduated, uh, you decided not to buy a roller rink, and uh, you jumped right into the finance world. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I um, all the way
0: through college, I was working as a bookkeeper for a men's clothing store. Mm-hmm. At the time, Kate Spade was there. We were roommates in college, and we worked for this guy, Carter's Men's Clothing in Phoenix. And our other guy was Andy Spade from Partners in Spade, and of course he and, uh, Andy and Katie married after college. And I was the bookkeeper, and I went to work for Tush Ross right out of right out of school, and and did Coopers and Live Ran and Tush. Yeah, that is
1: hysterical. I did not know this about you, actually. <laughs> this is what's so fun because you know I went, I grew up in Arizona, and I I knew Carters actually very well. It was on. 44th and Camelback it was uh just around the corner uh from me and I I knew Andy uh better than I knew actually Kate and knew Dave and and the whole you know crew because they all went to ASU and um after I guess did Kate when when did she transfer to uh so she went to she went to KU right like early on and then didn't she transfer Yeah, that's what she did. That's what I I remembered. Her and Elise. Yep. Yeah, it's so it's such a crazy, crazy story. See, I've known you for a while, and I never even knew that story about you. That's that is a riot. And so, you graduated, and you jumped into uh, you jumped into finance. Then, at what point did you leave that? backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
0: So I was two years in and honestly, I was bored to tears. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I I love accounting, but I was bored in public accounting. And one of my crazy entrepreneur clients, because you were in Phoenix, you'll appreciate this story. He owned Yellowfront, the old um, company Yellowfront. And he built that. Yeah. So he was one of my clients and he snatched me away to help him raise money to open up office products, warehouse clubs. They were called the OP club at the time. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. were like one of the very first office club, um, office max type of, you know, large warehouse office products clubs. And I helped Rudy open up 11 of these and I helped him raise the money. And I was like, I don't know, 23 years old at the time or and or maybe 24. And we literally rolled out 11 of these. Um, warehouse clubs, 20,000 square feet, raised a lot of venture money. And um, we then sold the company to, at the time it was BizMart. And then BizMart rolled up to Office Max. And I helped Rudy with that journey. And then the venture guys took me over to another company that they were funding because I worked you know 23 hours a day uh, you know being young and and very um, ambitious and so they brought me to another one of their companies which was an IBM systems integrator and so I helped them build that for five years which allowed me to jump the aisle um, because when I was in public accounting all I was doing was accounting but when I helped Rudy Roll out these office products, warehouse clubs. I was doing all the technology and all the point of sale and all the back office and all the systems integration. And so I jumped the aisle into tech at that time, and then I kept putting one foot in front of the other.
1: What was the biggest difference between being in kind of the accounting world versus the tech world? Um,
0: you know, I mean, listen, it, it having the accounting background and and actually understanding what the end result needed to be when you were Mm -hmm. hooking up all these systems really helped, you know, I mean, the accounting really helped understand like the data uh, and the data Mm -hmm. architecture and what needed to happen with the data and how to, you know, um, the end result being, you know, the financial statement, um, you kind of know how to go out and collect all that data from whatever source. So I think it's a very logical path to move into kind of systems integration And um, that's kind of the path I ended up on was in the area of systems integration and helping retailers specifically implement systems. And so that's what led me back. Yeah. Yeah. So it led me back to Deloitte and Touche. And I went to go manage their retail technology practice in Los Angeles. and, And then I was recruited to Microsoft to run their retail technology vertical for the Western U.S. in 1994, they were starting to scale the enterprise um, with SQL Server and Windows NT, and they needed someone that understood retail, uh, retail verticals. So that's what, you know, one train door opened and got off on that platform and another train arrived and got on that train. So, So, yeah, a lot of interesting. um, (laughs) And,
1: and, And so then you, so how did it, was Serena and Lily next then? Well, there's a few
0: things in between, right? So I, um, let's see, I, I left Microsoft to have my first baby, and I decided to not go back to corporate America after having my first baby. The last thing I wanted to do was jump on a plane and go do a speaking engagement in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just decided that I'm done with corporate America. And I, you know, I took a year off. I had a baby. And then I opened a baby and kids store in downtown Mill Valley and I Mill Valley baby and kids. And I put my little baby Max in a stroller and I strolled them downtown and I got a cup of coffee and stuck the baby in a crib and just, you know, was doing my own thing. And just, I felt like the world didn't really have a great baby and kids store. So I opened one and that's when I met Serena. She,
1: <laughs> and so, you did know, she worked there or was she a customer?
0: No, she, um, funny enough, I was off having a baby one day, um, at Marin General, baby number two, Zeke, Ezekiel. And Serena walked in the, my door to prospect. She had a beautiful decorative painting business and she painted nurseries and kids rooms. And she was also doing custom fabrics for interior designers, So she was honestly just bringing her portfolio over to show me that day, but I was having a a baby that day. Um, And so my manager, my store manager said, oh, Lily's going to love your work. She's having a baby today, um, but I'll have her call you. And Serena's like, sure. Okay, whatever. And I, you know, I brought the baby in the next day. I think Zeke was all of 20 hours old. And I was doing show and tell. And I, I literally took one look at Serena's designs and said, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. I, I picked up the phone and I called her and I was like, I love your work. And she's like, no, hold on a second. Aren't you the person that just had the baby yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy as ever. So, yes, she, she and I met a week later. And she came in and she showed me her portfolio of decorative painting. And I said, you know, why don't you paint that whole wall over there and I'll put out your cards and, you know, you can give me a rev share for your decorative painting. And then she showed me another portfolio, which was like kids artwork. And I said, I love it. I have a Clay art business. I was already selling artwork to 70 retailers across the nation. And I said, I need some girls' artwork. Can you do some girls' artwork for me? And she's like, sure, why not? And then she opened up her third portfolio, which was these beautiful, beautiful patterns and beautiful fabric designs. And I said, you know, the world needs better baby bedding. Do you want to do some crib bedding together? And she's like, sure, why not? And she literally walked out of the store two hours later and she called her husband at the time and she says, I think something really big just happened. (laughs)
1: That's hysterical. <laughs> True story. That is so funny. And so yeah, how did funny. you guys, so you, that was the beginning. So she was selling her product in your store at the time. And then how did that become? Well, no. Not really.
0: She wasn't. We, she, she, no, because she was doing custom fabric for designers at okay. the time. And so we decided to start Serena and Lily with just a line of crib bedding. And it was about 15 crib sets that we started with. And we're talking about 2004 mm-hmm. and we did about 15 crib designs. Um, and we sent out, we produced a beautiful catalog that we sent to about 600 independent baby and kids stores that looked and felt just like Mill Valley baby and kids. And, um, the day that we, sh- the day we mailed our catalog, I'm I'm not even making this up. The day we mailed our catalog, um, the company Wendy Belissimo, which yeah. was the only crib bedding company out there, she decided to get out of the business, and so she faxed down and emailed all of her 800 stores across the country and said, "Thank you so much." for your amazing business all these years. I now have four little girls and I really need to focus on them and I've sold my brand to Babies R Us. And honestly like she was the only crib bedding company out there and it was and she did that the day we we sent our catalog to these 400 600 stores. So I mean just talk about timing. We honestly like took her entire channel overnight because they had nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we got opening orders from over a hundred stores the first two weeks that we sent our catalog and we, and we had a thousand dollar minimum opening order and it was all wholesale. We didn't have, you know, a shopping cart on our website. And all of a sudden we've got a hundred thousand dollars in orders and we had zero inventory at the time. You know, this was such a, you know, front end loading job. Like we just like printed this beautiful catalog that had no inventory not only did we not have any inventory, we didn't even have a a production company. We just had a cut and sew woman, you know, here, here in the Bay
1: Area. (laughs) That's insane. I mean, it's just crazy
0: times. Yeah.
1: Looking back on those times, we have many of those at hint as well, where you're just like, you know, you're, you're flying the airplane as you're building it. You're, you know, hoping nobody finds anything (laughs) out. Like you're just like, oh my God. Right. You know, it's just, I I know there's, those are always the best stories along the way. So was it at that point that you kind of incorporated the company and made it Serena and Lily?
0: Pretty much. I mean, I honestly think Serena and I, to this day, don't even have a partnership agreement that we ever inked. Um, I told her I would put $50,000 into the company and we'd be equal partners and a million dollars later i said serena we got to get some like you know investors or something you know and um we just did it like we just didn't really i don't know it was years till we kind of really structured it in a way that was like a real company but i think it wasn't until 2007 did we take some friends and family um capital and uh and then in 2008 we took some you know Investment capital from an outside party.
1: What was probably the most surprising thing about being an entrepreneur? Because I feel like you sort of took a step into being an entrepreneur just by opening a little store in Mill Valley, right? And you were sort of, you know, running it and doing your thing. But I mean, this was, this was like a bigger step. I mean, you just, you know, you really, really went for yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, listen.
0: We went for it. I mean, Serena and I, I think both have a personality type. It's like, go big or go home. You know, I think we, um, manifested a vision that we were going to be Ralph Lauren one day. And I don't think we ever had any, you know, idea of doing something small. It's just not in our personality types. You know, it was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to really go big with this. And, um, it was, you know, neither one of us knew a damn thing about what the hell we were doing. But that was what made it like that we would do it. I think had we known the details of this type of business, yeah. we would have never done it.
1: Yeah, had- I know. <laughs> it's like you ask too many questions, you, know. you do too much research on it, and it's uh, you. You instead just need to you need to go. And I think that's that's clear. Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you,
0: like if you wrote a business plan. On doing luxury crib bedding that was five hundred dollars a crib set, you would not stop mm-hmm. start that business. The addressable market is so tiny. There's only four million births in the U.S. every year. You know what? One percent of those can afford that. I mean, it, 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 this is just you know this business tops off at you know probably mm-hmm. four million dollars, and you just. And so, but what was interesting about that is it, in that, it enabled us to build a brand because we really didn't have a competitor in the space. So we got Jen Garner's nursery and we got Reese Witherspoon's and we got, you know, a lot of Hollywood stars nurseries that enabled us to get a lot of media and become kind of these designers to the stars. So it allowed us to build a brand in a place that didn't really have a competitor. And one always has to ask when there's not a competitor, is there no addressable mm-hmm. market? And the answer was yes, there was no addressable market. And what even made it worse was when all the pediatricians started to come out and say, no crib bumpers. So, you know, thank God we jumped the aisle. <laughs>
1: yeah, but that is so interesting. I mean, it, 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 you're exactly right. I mean, when you're the only one in there, though, you know, you start to question is this category, you know, big enough? Um, and in some ways, as I always say to people, like, I mean, in the case of Hint, we, were, we created a category called unsweetened flavored water. And I thought I was, you know, genius because <laughs> there was no one else here. But the challenge of that is, is that there's no one else to compare you to, right? And so, and is the category big enough? And I mean, we had buyers who were, uh, it's a different category, obviously, but for in our case, I mean, we had, you know, buyers sort of hedging primarily because there was no one else there and they thought maybe consumers don't want it because there's no one else here. And so, you know, that was like, we had to wait for the consumer to catch up. Um, So a different, but there's some similarities in there as well. And, um, and obviously you branched out beyond, um, you know, crib bedding. I mean, you're doing obviously baby's rooms and then entire homes. And I mean, your catalog is still to this day, just so beautiful.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It took many years to not be the baby brand. It took many years because the early adopters of the brand would literally be looking at the catalog. They'd be literally looking at a living room or a master bedroom. And they'd say, gosh, I sure wish I was still having a baby." I mean, it's amazing how strong brand impression is when someone adopts you when you're really early and you haven't done, you know, a larger play. Um, It took years.
1: So how did you, how did you branch out? Like, how did you, I mean, talk about, you know, having the courage and the fearlessness. How did you know it was the right time to go and launch these other rooms? you know, we
0: kind of followed the customer basically, you know,
1: we first, we went from baby bedding
0: and in 2007, so we introduced our first crib line in 2004. And, and when the babies started to go out of their cribs in 2007, we started mm-hmm. to do kids rooms. And so our customer was asking us, you know, my baby's out of their crib. I want this, you know, I want this look for their kids' room. So then we introduced a whole line of of kids' rooms bedding and, and other accessories for the kids' room. And then from there in 2009, we started to doing adult because she's like, I want my baby's room is nicer than my room. I want my room to look like as well, you know, as the kids' room. So we started to just go all in. And, you know, full tilt. (laughs) And that's, you know, when we really started to grow up was 2010, I'd say. So in terms of the master bedroom and the living room, that really started to come about in 2010, 2011, about 10 years ago.
1: And then you did a beach. I remember in the Hamptons, you had a a store. I remember when you launched that, I was like, what the heck? I mean, this is amazing. So it was absolutely terrific.
0: I mean, who opens their first store in the Hamptons? I mean, the Hamptons is a seasonal location. um, And it was wildly successful because it was a coastal brand. And this customer is, in fact, coming out there all year round, except Mm -hmm. for maybe February. Um, although this COVID year was yeah. a crazy town
1: in in coastal yeah, communities, absolutely. Well, it was it yeah. was absolutely terrific. So you stayed on as uh, the CEO until I have the dates right. Twenty fifteen is that when you stepped into the chairman, or or you're on the board? Yep, I, I stepped uh, out of the company at the end of twenty fifteen. So
0: um, the new CEO came in in January twenty sixteen. And I, um, you know, I, I definitely, it was time for a break of running a marathon in a sprint speed, um, for 12 years, pretty exhausting.
1: Yeah. You did an absolutely amazing, amazing job. I mean, it's just uh, like you've built a brand that, you know, has has really stuck. Right. And I think it's, it's one that is still, I, I want to open up the catalog. I want it, you know. I want to have those sheets on the bed. I want to have the different items in my home. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. So you should be so, so proud of what you did.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we worked really hard and we are proud and we built it to last. Um, You know, what goes up fast comes down fast. We, you know, we were considered the slow grower in the valley. Um, and we, you know, really, I feel like sometimes the tortoise does win the race, um, because it was built with a lot of soul.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely loved
0: it. And are you still a board member then? No, no. Um, we're both out. We're both out at this point. And, um, you know, it was time. It was time for a new, um, type of leadership. It was time for, you know, for us to, Kind of move on. Serena's got a beautiful line of fabrics and a beautiful line of wallpapers that she's doing for interior designers.
1: And it was time for me to do something new. And so, yeah, that's great. And so the new, then you decided to launch Boon Supply. Tell us a little bit about that. So you know, I had this dream back in two thousand eight. I was
0: sitting in the Crown Fellowship program um, with this fabulous woman, Tamzin, who was part of the early, early employees and early, uh, creative strategy people for the red initiative with Bono and, and Bobby Shriver. And, you know, they raised $220 million for the global fund for AIDS, um, in two years. And so I was like, God, you know, commerce and shopping is a very, very powerful engine to fuel nonprofit revenue needs. Um, and you know, I, I've always wanted to create a commerce engine that spun off some piece of capital towards nonprofit, but how great would it be to democratize that and allow the customer to decide where that fund, where those funds go. And so after taking a year off from Serena and Lily and leaving there, um, at the end of twenty seventeen, I acquired the assets of an existing school fundraising company that was already in seven thousand schools across the u s, and they had given back seventy five million dollars. Hmm. And you know, honestly, the industry's been frozen cookie dough, gift wrap, and chocolate bars for a hundred years. I mean, like, come on, somebody hasn't disrupted this business with a digital platform and with great conscious product. and so, I saw a huge opportunity to disrupt, but also since we relaunched in 2018 as Boone supply with all eco products and you know waste free lunch and waste free kitchen, we've given back 26 million dollars for schools across America and that's amazing. yeah, it's a powerful you know unfortunately when COVID hit last year you know March of 2020, our business flatlined. I mean schools shut. And our business went to honestly zero. I mean, it looks our Shopify, you know, analytics looked like the patient died. I mean, it just went flatline. So it was, a, it was tough. It was a tough year because we were 100% in schools and, and sports teams. And so I have a rock star of a, of a chief revenue officer. And she went out to Tory Johnson on Good Morning America. And we were able to do just under a million dollars in a day. With with Tory and really like our inventory, um, you know, produced some cash flow, um, and with the help of PPP and and some reductions, we were able to really save the company, and uh, we really built a lot of third party partnerships um, last year, and so we're just getting back on our feet, and we it gave us the opportunity to rebuild the platform as a marketplace, so we're now we're opening it up to all these partners. And we're really excited about the future of Boone Market. Um, And so, yeah.
1: So basically, people are, you've got items on there, and then there's a percentage in the sales going back into schools. That's right. That's right. What do you think you learned from COVID? I mean, like, I think that that's the thing that I always share with people when you go through challenging times or you know, failures or whatever, what, what is it that you learned that if you, if you would have known you would have done differently?
0: Well, I mean, obviously this one's really obvious, but just the channel concentration, right? We had a hundred percent channel concentration in mm-hmm. schools and sports teams who would have ever thought that schools and sports teams would have closed down. Like who would have thought any of this would have ever closed yeah. down. But you know, there was so much channel concentration in what we were doing, but I mean, listen. There was a gift for us—the gift of COVID, which was it allowed us to rip the bandaid off. We were still fifty percent on paper forms, which we've been trying to get off of. But you know, listen, legacy at businesses and um, old-fashioned types of businesses, like school fundraising, they're very slow to to change. You know, people just don't change behavior overnight. Mm-hmm. So. It, it was a huge gift and it was a huge opportunity to just say, hey, we're going to rip the band off and there is no paper forms. Nobody's going door to door here. It's <laughs> like, you either I have to di- digitize this experience or you're dead.
1: Yeah, I think definitely you're right. I mean, it, it just changed things significantly. And I also heard you talk about in an interview about your legacy product, project of reimagining capitalism. Do you want to share a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we're at this really interesting time right now where we have to stop looking at nonprofit and for-profit separately. We have to find ways to incorporate impact into the future of capitalism. I think it's imperative. I think they're absolutely going to be the next unicorns are the companies that figure out how to have tremendous impact using a capitalistic model yeah we're at a existential crisis with the planet right now where we you know we've got a lot of inequity and we've got to figure out how to use this incredible engine of capitalism to reshape the world's biggest issues so I feel very passionate about that and I'm absolutely you know out to prove that you can in fact uh, run a very successful capitalistic company, but also be able to share some of that with nonprofits. And we're really, really focused on carbon neutral right now. That—that That is absolutely our 100% focus is to build a marketplace of carbon neutral. And so that is, you know, it's a goal. It's good to have goals.
1: <laughs> Definitely good to have goals. So that's awesome though. That's, that's so great to hear. So obviously you've been, you're a serial entrepreneur and you have, you know, three kids. Uh, what, what advice would you give to them and, and sort of thinking about a career? You've worked obviously in tech and uh, finance and, and been an entrepreneur and a couple of different industries as well. What, what have you learned? What words of wisdom would you share with them? Well, you know, for me, it's, I've
0: always tried to encourage my kids to find their passion and, and and have that passion lead to their purpose of, of, you know, their life purpose. And, um, you know, creativity, you know, entrepreneurship to me personally is like creativity of the soul. It's how I jump out of bed is that create that spark of creativity. And so I've always encouraged my kids and I've really tried to sh- you know show them the world and show them other interesting entrepreneurs and I just feel like they need to um find their passion and leave the world in a better place and and when they can marry those two together you know they've found their purpose so I just you know I'm very passionate about helping them find that journey um, and, you know, they're super young still, but my my oldest is very passionate about the refugee crisis. He's very passionate about food sustainability and,
1: and social justice. And so we'll see where that leads. I love it. If nothing great came out of the pandemic, I think more and more people are kind of rethinking things and also rethinking things for their, you know, their kids too. And and sort of what do you hope that they'll do based on, you know, any challenges that they see out there. So definitely love, um, those words of wisdom. So one last question, um, for you, it's a, it's a really, really tough one, but where can people find out more about, uh, Lily and everything that she's up to?
0: Oh, thank you. Um, well, I am on, I, you know, I, I'm not very active on social media. I'll be honest with you about that. I am, you know, very focused on the, you know, in-person, uh, relationships, which I love and I'm passionate about, um, spending a lot of time with people. But, um, you know, as far as the company, uh, boonmarket.com is, is what I'm working on these days. I do post from time to time on LinkedIn, but yeah, I'm, I'm not a private person. I just don't really engage, um, all that much with social. Well, you
1: are just, so incredibly smart and there's so much <laughs> that people can learn from you. So I I uh I always ask people, um, um, you know, where can they you. learn more? And obviously uh Boone is so that the website address is for Boone. Is it Boone Supply or Boone Marketplace? It's both, but right now
0: Boone Market uh is where we're really taking the brand. Uh we're building out this marketplace market. I'm okay. good. Yeah. Good for you, good for the planet, okay. good for schools.
1: Um, yeah, I love it. So great. Well, thank you so much, Lily. And thanks everybody for listening. And, uh, please give Lily's episode five stars and download and, uh, the, and subscribe to our great podcast. We are every week, every Monday and Wednesday. Now we're having founders and CEOs and just incredible people with lots of great insights. And, uh, Hopefully you'll all, uh, be back to listen to more and, uh, thank you again, Lily. I really appreciate it. I also want to remind everybody, if you haven't read my book yet that came out last October, I would, um, I would encourage you to do so. There's a whole entrepreneurial journey there that is laid out and, uh, warts and all And uh, so definitely would, would love for you to let me know what you think once you get a chance to read it. And thanks again, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Thanks for listening.